Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, thank you to our worship team. Great, great job leading us in worship today. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter number 9. Maybe it's on your digital device or whatever it may be. If you get online, if you sign on, you, you can get to put the Bible verse right over here if you create an account, so it helps a little bit. Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 31. Now, a few weeks ago, I started a series called Scattered, Being the Church Without the Church. And we looked at, even during a scattered time, how do we be the church? And so it's kind of unusual for me to take Sunday morning sermons and preach about the church, but I thought it was so important for us to do it during this time so we can understand the dynamic of church while we're scattered. So today I want to preach on this subject, bigger and better. I probably should have switched it and said better and bigger, and you'll get that as we go along. But it's all based on Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So what we find out is Acts 8, 1, for different reasons, they went through a time period, just like we're in right now, where the church was scattered. The, the staff stayed at the central location, main campus, then everybody else got scattered. Well, uh, how did they operate during that time? So over these past few weeks, we've looked at that. And if you've not seen or you missed some of those sermons, by all means, go back and pick those up on our app. You can watch those videos on our app and pick those up. And so today was going to be the final day, and, and the sermon got long. It turned into a 50-minute sermon, and so instead of doing that, and I know you'd love to hear me preach 50 minutes. I know you would, but I cut it into two 25-minute sermons. So I'm going to do one today and one uh, to close it out here in just a couple of weeks after Scott Smith. So uh, two points today, but hang with me for just a, a little bit. And so today's, uh, uh, all of today's message and the next message is based on Acts 9.31. Here it is. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria, that's the scattered church, had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Increased in numbers. So we're going to look at that verse over the next couple of weeks, one of my favorite verses in Acts and one of my favorite verses about the church that I want us to learn from. Well, we're in America, right? And we like bigger things in America. Now, we're not all like Texas, maybe, where Texas has everything bigger, but we like bigger things. And so I thought I'd do a little research on, you know, what, what do we have in America that's just big for no reason whatsoever, right? So I found, for example, this is in Anniston, Alabama, and it's the home of the world's largest office chair. It's 33 feet tall. It's 19 feet, over 19 feet wide, it was built by Leonard Miller to advertise his furniture store and office business and is made of 10 tons of steel, 15 tons of concrete, and it can withstand winds of 85 miles an hour. He built it in 1981. In 1982, Guinness's Book of World Records certified it as the world's largest office chair. And you say, why? And I say, because we can, that's why. And then this is an odd one. You go to Creed, Colorado. And Creed, Colorado is home to the world's largest fork. It's 40 
feet long piece of aluminum that, by the way, you'll be glad to know, beat out the world's now second largest fork. That was a 35-foot fork that was in Missouri. You didn't even know that, did you? You didn't even know America has two forks, one 40 feet and one 35 feet. But Creed, Colorado holds the record for the world's largest fork. And a newspaper in Creed, Colorado described it as the weirdest attraction in all of Colorado. Well, Georgia will not be outdone. And in Georgia, we have the world's biggest chicken in Georgia. Kentucky, how many of you have been to the big chicken in Marietta? Let me see your hand. How many of you ordered chicken for the big chicken in Marietta? Yeah, if you haven't, you need some extra crispy from there. From Marietta, Georgia, attached to the Kentucky Fried Chicken is the world's largest chicken. It is 56 feet tall for no reason other than we can know exactly where it is. It's easy to find. There was always a Sonny's barbecue kind of across the road, and I used to eat at the Sonny's every chance I got and stared at the big chicken. But Georgia, hey, we're still not to be outdone. In Aspirin, Georgia, in 1970, they decided to build a... a uh, uh, edifice to the number one cash crop in Georgia, which was a peanut. And they built a peanut that was 33 feet tall and had a 10-foot diameter around it. You could see it right off I-75 until a hurricane blew it down in uh, 2018. And then there's the curious case of Casey, Illinois. A businessman in Casey, Illinois decided that everything in Casey needed to be bigger and better. So Casey, Illinois is now home to um, the world's largest mailbox. You can see it right here in the photo. Maybe you can see it online. Those are people inside the mailbox. Not pictured. It is also home to the world's largest clogs or wooden shoes. It is also home to the world's largest golf tee. If you, you can look it up online. It's about the size of a telephone pole that's shaped like a golf tee. I, I just couldn't put all the photos up. There, there is home to the world's largest pitchfork. That's a human being on top of it. It's home to the world's largest rocking chair. And not pictured, it is home to the world's largest wind chime, largest knitting needles, and for some reason, the world's largest crochet hook. Now, you would think with all of those large things that Casey is a great place to live. But here's what I discovered. The, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the population in Casey has been declining since 1980. Can you imagine if the world were to make it for another 2,000 years? And archaeologists are digging through Casey one day with that little brush. They're going to say there were enormous people in Casey, Illinois. The fact is, bigger is not always better. Sometimes bigger churches can got, kind of get a bad rap. Did you know that? Now, you say, what's a bigger church? Well, uh, numerically speaking, uh, if a church ran 150, it's, it's a big church. The average size church in America is about half 150, somewhere around, actually it's in the 60s, uh, but let's say 75. And so that's usually not what we're talking about. Normally, we're talking about a bigger church, maybe our size, and we get accused of only caring about numbers and nickels and noses as if there was some kind of virtue by being a smaller church. And I know some people are, you know, they're, they, they tend to get anti-big church and you shouldn't do that. Well, let me just notice this. Here's what God said in Acts 9.31. The church, it increased in numbers. 
With all this going on in the world, in Acts chapter number 9, God wants us to know that the church was still growing. The church was still reaching people. The church is still getting larger. Listen to me carefully. God is always counting. God loves to count. All the book of Genesis, God was counting. There's even a book in the Old Testament called Numbers. And when you get to the book of Acts, it almost could be called second numbers because God's always counting. We know, for example, that the first group of disciples was 120 people. How do we know that? God told us somebody counted. We know the first church service, 3,000 people were saved. How do we know? Somebody counted. We know the second church service, 5,000 men were saved. How do we know that? They counted. God is always highlighting and encouraging the growth of the church. And people, let me say this, as long as heaven and hell are reality, church growth is not an option. As long as hell is forever, and as long as heaven is for eternity, growing the church is not an option. Why? Because when the church grows bigger, that's one more person who isn't going to go to hell for eternity. When we baptize after the service today, that's one more person who was destined for hell who now is not. And sometimes people, not here, but sometimes people will say things like, well, I don't, I don't know why church has to get so big. Well, what's the alternative? To stop reaching people? To start saying to people, we're full? We don't care about your eternity? No, as long as heaven and hell are reality, church growth is not an option. And so, but hear me, it's not just about bigger. Every time God highlights bigger, he highlights better. And here's what I believe. That if we get better, we'll get bigger. Let me tell you a story. It was, it was the early days of Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A, the way the story goes, Chick-fil-A was in a heated battle in the industry with a group called Boston Chicken, as it used to be called. And now it's it was then it turned into Boston Market. Most of you heard of Boston Market, but they were kind of neck and neck in size, and Boston Market was really growing. Chick Fil A was feeling threatened, and so they had a meeting at the headquarters, and uh, they had all these young executives in there who came in with a lot of strategy and a lot of ideas about how to get bigger a lot faster. And the, as the story goes, after a while, Truett Cathy, who was the founder of Chick Fil A, started beating on the table like this, and which was very unusual for him. And he just kept beating until it got deathly quiet, and everybody in the room, all those young guys, got kind of nervous and kind of you know anxious about maybe their job status at that time and they realized and Kathy said this I love this it's legendary now in leadership circles if we get better our customers will demand that we get bigger now here, here's what I want to tell you work for Chick-fil-a but let me tell you about the church it's a good principle for the church because if we get better Pvine is sharing the gospel if we get better at being called out Christians, if we get better at being the church, we can't help but reach more people with the gospel and see more people saved even while we're scattered. So the verse 31 ends with, and the church was growing. The first part of it is about better. And so I want to talk over the next couple of sermons about bigger and better. How do we get better 
so we can reach more people with the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to give you two things today. Number one is this. Number one, we have to be called out. Here's what the Bible says. It says, and the church. Now, we can't look over that term church too easily because we, we hear the word church. We are Peavine Baptist Church, Peavine Church. Like we, we use the word church, but get in, keep in mind, when this was written in Acts 9.31, the word church had not been around a lot, not been used a lot. Like Jesus had used it a couple of times, and then it's been used a couple of times in Acts, but it's not been used a lot. So when we get to Acts 9.31, it's really kind of a new word as far as a church word goes. And it's the Greek word ekklesia. And it means the called out ones. It's from the Greek word ek and ekklesia, and it means uh, the preposition out. It means to call ek, kaleo, ekklesia, to call out. And the church is composed of those who are called out. And so when Luke, who wrote Acts, says, and the church, we, we've got to pay attention there because the word's not being used very much. And in, maybe in some circles, they would have had to define what you mean by called out because it's a secular word. It was actually a government word that's been morphed into church world and used by the church. And so Luke said, hey, you've been called out. Now, that always had a twofold meaning. Get this. Ecclesia always meant, number one, that you had been called out from the world and their previous ungodly lifestyle. So here's what ecclesia meant. Ecclesia meant, number one, you've been called out from the culture of the world in which you live. Now, here's what, here's what we mean by that. Church, when we are the called out ones, here's what it means. That our lives post-salvation is different than our lives pre-salvation, right? Like the way I talk after I'm saved should be different than the way I talk before I'm saved. Can I get an amen right there? Like the way I dress after I'm saved should be different than the way I dress before I'm saved. The way I act after I'm saved is different than the way I acted before I was saved. Can we say this in today's world? What my social media looks like after I'm saved should look drastically different than what it looked like before I was saved. Why? We are the church. We are the called out ones. We've been called out from the world. We've been called out from uh, the culture. We've been called out for our previous ungodly lifestyle. And if you claim to be a Christian and there's no difference between the way you looked pre-decision and post-decision, you didn't get the right thing when you got what you got. We're called out. It also meant, not just called out, it meant called together. Called together for a purpose. If you look at the church, the purpose was evangelism and fellowship and education and worship and service. That's why it's always better to meet together if we can. I, I get it when we're scattered, we're doing what we have to do to be the church, but it's always better to meet together. We're being called together for a purpose. But even scattered, we can be the called out ones. So here's what you need to know. God takes the church very seriously. And we'll be a we are to be a body of people who have been called out from the world and its culture and assembled, called to the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. Rightly understood, you should have a commitment to the church as, as someone who has been bought by the blood of Christ and given a mission alongside other believers. The Bible even says this, that Jesus died for the church. Let me tell you what that means. Church is not optional. It is the called out body and bride of Christ. And so I'm afraid sometimes we have the attitude like church is an optional thing, but it's not if you're a believer. Some people will say, I don't, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you just have to go to church to be a good one. Or watch online as we're scattered. 
Because there's no such thing in the New Testament. It's foreign to Christianity apart from the church. Because we're called out and called to something. Church is not optional. We're just days away from some form of Major League Baseball. Can somebody say amen right there? Like We're just days away from it. I can't wait. I can't wait for something besides the news on television. I'm so tired of the news, and I can't wait. Major League Baseball this year has a 60-game sprint to the finish, they're calling it, and 60 games, and players were given an option to be able to opt out. If you have pre-existing conditions, medical conditions, and you felt endangered by playing baseball, you were allowed to opt out of playing this year, which meant you would still get paid, but you were allowed to sit on the sidelines and watch other people play. You still get paid, but you were required to sit on the sidelines and watch other people play. Not on the sidelines, but sit and watch other people play. You still get paid, but you're sitting on the sidelines watching others. So far this year, 14 players and 11 umpires have said no thanks. And that's fine in baseball. But I think sometimes, and there's a list of all the players who've opted out so far, but I think sometimes Christians kind of act like there's an opt-out clause in the Christian life. I'm still getting paid. I'm going to heaven when I die, so what's the big deal about the church? Well, I get stressed out over the details. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm going to save. But listen, you missed the whole point of your salvation. We are a called-out body that is supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God. Church is not an activity. Church is a passion and calling on God on your life. And you have to ask yourself, how do you view the church? Is church something you do or it is the calling of God on your life? Because God has placed every person in the body of Christ here to be an integral part of the body of Christ. You are called out and your lifestyle should be different and your activities should be different and your vocabulary should be different and your passion and mission of your life should be different. Even, even, even while we're scattered. While we're scattered, we have an opportunity to impact the world as being called out like you maybe never have done as a Christian. How do we get better so we can reach more people the gospel and be bigger? Number one, we're called out. Number two, let me say, peace out. Peace out. Now let me tell you where we are in the Bible. Saul was the chief persecutor of the church. And you know from the scripture, he was killing people, putting them in prison, beating them, just wreaking havoc, the Bible says, on the church. But Saul, in this chapter, got saved and is now Paul, and he's preaching the gospel. Now, just to give you a little context of who Saul was, Saul was commissioned by the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish religious rulers of the day. So keep in mind, the guys who ran the temple, the Jewish temple, they're the ones that hated the church, hated Jesus. They're the ones that crucified him. And they commissioned Saul to go kill the Christians, literally. And Saul's been doing that. Well, now he's got saved, and now he's helping the Christians. And so it would make sense that in Acts 9.31 that they had just hired somebody else to kill the Christians, but they haven't. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this in Acts 9.31, that after it said they were the church, it said they had peace. Some translations say rest. Well, that doesn't make sense. Because the Roman government did not like the church, but the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, hated the church, hated it. They were taking people away from them. They were losing money and influence. What happened? 
we have to get outside the Bible and know a little bit about history. About this time, a guy named Caligula had been the ruler in Rome, the emperor in Rome, for just a little while, just a little while. And Caligula had been told, and I'm paraphrasing the story, Caligula had been told that the Jews didn't cooperate well, that they were always uprising, they were always revolting, and that they really didn't regard the emperor in the, with the respect the emperor wanted to be regarded with. So to Caligula, that was not going to happen. So Caligula said to his Roman uh, general, he said, I'm having a statue made of myself, and I want you to march it down to Jerusalem with an army, and I want you to set the statue up in the temple of the Jews and demand that they worship me as God. Which they would have placed it in what we would call the holiest of holies in the temple, which would have been sacrilege. Now, God had already rent the veil and the Spirit of God had left there because the Spirit of God is now within you. But to the Jews, the Sanhedrin, it would have just been blasphemy, unbelievable blasphemy. Well, an uprising happened somewhere else. Caligula got distracted and he forgot about it for about a year. About a year it came back around. He said to his general, Peronius, he said, I want you to get an army I want you to go to Jerusalem. I've had a golden statue made of me, and I want you to drop it in the holy. He wouldn't have called it the holy place, but drop it in the holiest of holies. And then I want you to demand that they worship me. And if they don't, put them to death or turn them into slaves. No options. So Pronius got an entire army together and marched into Jerusalem and set up Caligula's statue in the holy place and demanded that the Jewish nation worship Caligula. Now, it's under that backdrop that the Bible says in verse 31 that they had peace. Do you know what God did? God orchestrated world events to get the pressure off the church for a little while. Now, church, let me tell you this. There are times a church can prosper under external persecution, like the world is mad at us. The world doesn't like what we believe about the Bible. The world doesn't like our Christian worldview, and they will attack us and come against us. And did you know that the Bible will tell us very plainly that the church can prosper under external persecution? Also, we know the church can prosper in times of peace. So when the world likes us, or the world doesn't care about us, or the world is fine with us, that's where we've been in America for a couple hundred years. Like the world's fine with us. The church can prosper in that. Acts 9.31, they prospered in the peace. Can I tell you when a church can never prosper? We're good with attacks from the outside. We're good with peace on the inside. When the church can never prosper is when there is conflict on the inside. The church cannot get bigger and better when there's conflict on the inside. We were meant to fight the enemy, not fight each other. As I, I travel America, I haven't traveled America recently because of coronavirus, but I'm still doing an event in Kentucky in a few weeks, an event in, in Oklahoma in a few weeks, training pastors. You talk to pastors and you know they'll tell you a lot of times, hey, pa preacher, pray for me. I mean, we're having such conflict in my church. Uh, be like, well, what's it over? And you know it's never over theology or the Word of God or something like that. It's always over music, carpet, instruments, silly stuff. You know why? The enemy loves to get internally into a church and cause conflict 
because he knows we'll not reach people when there's conflict on the inside. Did you know when you have conflict in your life, it causes all kinds of issues? Portland State University has an institute on aging, and they recently studied senior adults, and they looked at how unresolved conflict operate in their life. What did unresolved conflict do in their life? And here's what they discovered. That unresolved conflict caused all kinds of health issues and even led to shorter life. And here's what they surmised, that unresolved conflict does all kinds of damage to your immune system. And when your immune system is weakened, it hurts your body and it shortens your life. And here's just a few of the things they discovered. That unresolved conflict caused everything as, from as simple as acne to anxiety, burnout, depression, diabetes, digestive issues, tooth and gum disease, hair loss, heart disease, hyperthyroidism, insomnia, and obesity. That's a pretty bad list of things that happen to your body when you have ongoing unresolved conflict in your life. And listen, if it does that to your body, imagine what it does to the body of Christ. Now I want to tell you, we don't, we don't have any conflict here that I know of. If we do, please don't tell me because I'm living in a bubble and think everything's good, right? We don't have any conflict. But can I tell you this? This is an awkward sermon to preach when you're having conflict. So here's what I view this as. And I want you to get out of, if you have a pencil or a piece of paper or take a note in your phone, I'm going to give you five things on how to deal with church conflict. And hang with me because I'm going to turn around and tell you how to deal with personal conflict. But let me give you some things about church conflict because we don't have any as far as I know. So today's primitive medicine. Today is a vaccination against future potential conflict that we're never going to have. But just in case. Here we go. Let me give you five ways to deal with church conflict. Number one, be a peacemaker, not a conflict maker. Here's what Matthew 5, 9 says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Whenever you run into potential conflict, you always have the uh, option of throwing gas on the fire or water on the fire. Putting wood on the fire or putting sand on the fire. You have that power. And when you have that power, here's what the Bible would tell you. Always be a peacemaker. So preacher, I, I'm on this guy's side or I'm on that guy's side. No, don't take anybody's side. You always bring peace to a situation. Never bring conflict or add to it. Number two. Choose forgiveness over a fight. Paul said, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. How do we forgive one another? Well, the same way Jesus forgave you, you forgive people that way. No big deal. You can have the opportunity in a church sometimes to fight with somebody or forgive them. Always choose forgiveness because that's the way of Jesus. Always. Number three, don't say what you want to say. You say, what do you mean? You know what I mean. Somebody does you wrong, and you got some things you want to say, right? And the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, don't let anything bad come out of your mouth, but only that's good is going to build up somebody. And when you're in conflict, you don't want to build anybody up. You want to tear them down. That's why I don't say it. Number four, when it comes to the church, instead of a blow, let it go. Romans 12, don't repay evil for evil. And that's the way the world works. That's not the way the church works. You say, well, preacher, they did me wrong. I get it. I get it. I know. But don't return. Let it go, the Bible says. You know what Jesus said? 
hang on, turn the other cheek. So instead of a blow, let it go. You have less conflict in your life by letting it go than you ever will by trying to get back at somebody. Number five, when it comes to the church and conflict, choose the mission over the trivial. Seek those things which are above, not those things which are below. Hey, Pevine, look here. We have a mission by God to reach Pevine City with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a 20-mile radius of here. Now we've expanded our reach well beyond that. There are people watching all over today online. Thank you so much for watching. Who are watching online. Who are nowhere near Pevine City. Our, God has expanded our mission field. We have a mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot let the mission get sidetracked by something that eternally does not matter. If it hinders the mission, then don't do it. Close your Bibles, I'm finished. Do you know how the enemy gets us? Like you, you, you don't normally get mad at, in a church at something I preach or something. I, I mean, I, I say stupid stuff. I hope you, get, you forgive me, right? Like sometimes two thoughts run together and, and one bad sentence comes out or whatever. Like you, you, you got enough the grace to forgive me for me just saying something stupid, right? Amen. Say amen wherever you are. Ross will say amen because they're not doing it here. Like somebody say, say amen. Like you forgive me. That's not where conflict comes from. Conflict comes when there's personal conflict in the church and it breaks out of that relationship. So let me, let me, take, let me take just a minute here and let me tell you how to deal with personal conflict. It's the same five things. Number one, your personal life, be a peacemaker, not a conflict maker. In your home, if there's conflict, somebody's keeping it alive. Be a peacemaker. Refuse to engage in the conflict. It's hard to fight with somebody who won't fight back with you. It's hard to argue with somebody who won't argue back with you. Be a peacemaker. With your friends, with your coworkers, in your personal life, in your family, be a peacemaker. Don't ever be accused of making conflict. Number two, in your personal relationship, Choose forgiveness over a fight. Do you know it's hard to fight with somebody who's forgiven you? Now, sometimes they forgive too soon. You're like, well, wait, I'm still mad. But it's hard to fight with somebody who's forgiven you the way Jesus forgave us. You want to diffuse conflict? Practice liberal, gracious forgiveness. You want to, you want to diffuse conflict in your personal life? Don't say what you want to say. You know you want to say it. A lot of times you have these thoughts, that they, these ideas of words you want to say that come into your mind and actually they skip your mind and they just come straight out of your mouth. They go on the fast track. Don't say it. Do you know I've never apologized for something I didn't say? I've never said to somebody, I don't say anything, but man, if you knew, if you knew what was going through my mind about you, I, no, I didn't apologize because I didn't say it. I didn't have to apologize. I didn't say it. Don't say it. Let it go. Move on. Number four, instead of a blow, let it go. Hey, in your impersonal, interpersonal relationships, you know what the most godly, listen to me, the most godly Christ-like thing you can do sometimes is when somebody hurts you, let it go and move on. I'm not saying develop bitterness. I'm saying let it go and move on. Move on. You'll discover on the other side of it what isn't as big as deal as what you thought it was. And number five, in your own personal life, Choose the mission over the trivia. You say, well, I don't have a mission. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Listen to this. If you're married, your mission in marriage is to live together in love and harmony and joy all the days of your life. That is the mission of your marriage. 
Don't let what's for supper destroy the mission of the marriage. Don't let what we're watching on television destroy the mission of the marriage. Don't let something stupid destroy the mission of the marriage. Your family has a mission. Your friends, you have a mission with your friends. You have a mission at your job. Don't let the trivial destroy the mission. Choose the mission. And if something gets away in the mission, move beyond it. And in your own personal life, keep the mission the main thing. It's how you get better as a Christian. It's how we get better as a church so we can reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the building here, would you stand with me all across the building? Online, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Because you may be here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord Savior of your life. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're watching online, hang with me. I'm going to say a word to Christians here in just a moment. But if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's where you start. It's as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit that you're a sinner and that you cannot save yourself. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. You can't be good enough to earn heaven. You can't turn over enough new leaves. You've got to admit. you got to admit. I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. B, you must believe that Christ died on the cross for your sin and rose again the third day. We call that the gospel story. And C, you must confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Whether you're at Rock Spring, Rossville, or watching online, if you want to become a Christian, we can do that right now. That's probably your reason your heart is thumping out of your chest. It's the reason God orchestrated your life to get you here today so you could become a Christian and be saved and know that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home. If you'd like to be saved, pray this prayer. You can pray on your own, but I know most people need help praying the first time they ever pray. Pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and cannot save myself. But I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin and rose again the third day. And so just now, I invite Christ into my life to forgive me of my sin, to save me, and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, your intent was to trust Jesus. not the prayer that saves you. It's the intent of your heart. Just give your heart and life to Jesus. You are a Christian. Look right this way. Church, if you just prayed with me, sometime today I want you to text, I did, to 97,000. If you're watching online, just take a screenshot of that. If you're, we'll leave this up for a minute and you can take a photo of it. I did, no spaces, to 97,000. That'll start a conversation with us and we'll send you some material in the mail to tell you the next step to take in the Christian life. And we'd love to get that out to you. And we're going to be dismissed. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads online in the room at Rossville. Just bow your heads one last time. Now I want to ask you this question. How many of you tonight, this morning, because I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to major on that last point a little bit. It's why I divided it up into multi-sermons because of that peace thing. How many of you would just admit before God, hey, hey God, I've got some conflict in my life that I'm going to need your help with. I'm going to apply these principles that we saw this morning but I'm going to need some help, God, with this conflict that's in my life, a supernatural act of God. If that's you and you'd like for me to pray with you this morning, would you just slip your hand up and hold it up? Nobody's looking around. Yeah, hands all across the building, all across the building. Thank you so much. Father, we love you today. Thank you that the Bible says Jesus died for the church, called us out to live different, be different, and act different than the world. Help us to do it, Lord. Help us to do it. And then, Lord, peace. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. You gave us the peace of God. Help us to keep 
the peace of God. Lord, our, our, our prayers today, people, every service today, online, everywhere, Lord, they've got that conflict in their life that they need a touch from God in. They need to obey these principles and give them the Holy Spirit strength to obey those principles. Move beyond that conflict so the mission can become paramount in their lives. Help us at Peavine. Reach more people, not because we're trying to get a big number, but because we know every person we reach, every time we grow, that's more people are going to heaven and less people are going to hell. Time is short. It's urgent. So help us get busy about your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.